Now entering Nerdist.com. You made it weird. You made it weird. You made it weird. Oh, yeah. You made it weird. You made it weird. Yes, you did. You made it weird. Oh, yeah. You made it weird with Pete Holmes. Yes, you did. So, uh, yeah, we're going. It's always so natural to, to begin. Welcome, everybody, to You Made It Weird. I'm Pete Holmes, and I'm so happy to be here with uh, Dave Coulier. Hi, Pete. <laughs> you paused, How are you? You paused in a way that made I paused. That, that's, that's a dramatic pause. You can do that. Did when, I say your name incorrectly? That's perfectly uh, correct, but uh, you know, you always leave that pause. When it's, when it's a podcast, you can do that. Yeah. It creates drama. Dead air. Yes. Everybody loves dead because, air. <laughs> because like those old radio shows, you yeah. always had to tell people what you were going to do. You go, you know what I'm going to do? You see your left eye right there? <laughs> yeah. I'm going to take this gun, see? Right. And I'm going to point it right at your left eye. <laughs> oh, yeah. You're blinking at me right. now, aren't you? <laughs> and I think that, uh, that kind of uh, mentality transferred into the early movies as well, when you could see that he was pointing at his left eye, but the dialogue remained but they pointing t- this at your left eye. Yeah. It was like, we need a rewrite. We need and they always said, see? See? Yeah. It's because you know they tra- <laughs> they just made that transition from yeah. radio to movies. Exactly. See, <laughs> see, they, yeah, see. They, they kept reminding you of the technology. <laughs> this is a movie. You can see it. See. <laughs> when I was a kid, I used to do this thing. Whenever I had a pickle, I would uh, smoke it like I was a mobster, and I and but I was blind. A very dark character for a child. That really is. I yeah. Was a blind guy, and I didn't know I was smoking a pickle. So I'd be telling people like, "Murder that guy. I want that guy dead." And then and then I'm like, "Wait, is this a is this a pickle?" Why didn't anybody tell me I've been smoking a pickle this whole time? I thought this was hilarious as a kid. <laughs> I used to give people the finger, but it was the wrong finger. The ring finger? I used to give people the finger, you know, like when I was a kid, I, I saw somebody give the finger, but I couldn't remember which finger was the finger. It's hard to know. Yeah. And so I remember give, I'm giving the ring finger to people. A sincere ring finger? Yeah, because I thought that's what it meant. Like the ring finger was the finger that you gave it to kinda, people. You know, it takes more effort. It does. It, it's unnatural. It's almost like doing a long live and prosper Spock Abs- thing. You that know? was just like what we were just talking about. You had to say what you were doing. You were doing it, but because it's the radio, you had to be like, I'm doing the long live prosper thing. Yeah, see? <laughs> it's already come back <laughs> yeah, around. Yeah, here. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, you know, a little back, we, how do we know each other, Dave? We have done some shows together. We did some shows together. I think the first one, was it in Michigan? I feel like it was, you know, I'm not saying this to be disrespectful, but it was like either Michigan or it was like Wisconsin. It was something. Yeah, in it was that Michigan, ballpark. and it was a performing arts center in the middle of nothing. It was in the middle of nothing, and people showed up. People did show up. Yeah, that's a weird feeling because we f- we flew in and then we drove together. It was like a couple hour drive, yeah. so there was no airport near where we were going, and it wasn't like this weird like lodge. Sometimes you book a show and you picture how it'll be. You're like, oh, it's in the sticks of Michigan, and you picture like a lodge. That it, it was exactly that it yeah. was like a wooded sort of lodge looking thing yeah and people showed up with their banjos and kazoos yeah. and uh, both of us whatever were, else we a were jews violated. harp i think one guy had a jews harp you never heard of a jews harp before no it was it's a it's a little is it a harp you play it's called a jews harp it's called a jews harp i have no idea does it attract jews I, it might. It, maybe it was invented by Jews. So we need Jews some Jews. sat around and said, yeah. you, know, you know what we need? A Jews. We need a harp, but not like that kind. I'm going to invent one. And it'll be named after our people. That's right. I'm not Absolutely. even going to attempt the yes. voice. But we did, we did those shows, and we actually spent quite a bit of time together. This is something that keeps coming up on the show, is that there's this weird instant camaraderie with comedians. We know that we share at least some similar dysfunction, similar... Uh, 
uh, values, I guess you could say, yes. and that we can get in a car, not having known each other, and have a pretty nice time of it. Pretty much, yeah. Whereas if, it, if I were a postal worker, we probably would have had more awkward pauses in the conversation. Unless you're with Stephen Wright. Do you Who's know Stephen Wright? I do know Stephen Wright. Is he really awkward? I, no. I, <laughs> I imagine that, that I'm just giving be... people another one of those visuals, a mind visual, yeah. you know, a guy yeah. who just says one-liners. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very close to Halloween. A friend of mine went as Stephen Wright one year, and I nailed it immediately. He was just wearing a Boston hat, and he had his curly hair kind of sticking out. And I was like, Stephen Wright. Stephen Wright. And I was the only person that got it. I, one year, I went as Joey Gladstone. That's perfect. From I, Full House. Of course. I and, heard... Uh, I didn't have to do anything to get that costume together. That's great. Around. That's fantastic. Although you, you'd probably wear like a, a hockey jersey, I imagine. Uh, yeah, Detroit Red Wings him, jersey. I would wear that. A mullet wig. Or if I grew my hair longer, I could go as Jeff Daniels. Do you get that from? You must get that all the time. Yeah, when I get a little bit fat. Yeah. Nothing. No disrespect. No disrespect, to Jeff, Mr. Daniels, because he's bigger than me. Yeah. But uh, and it's so funny because we're both hockey fans. We're both from Michigan, and we met at a Detroit Red Wings golf charity outing. Yeah. And so he's walking towards me, and I'm walking towards him. We'd never met, and he starts pointing <laughs> his finger at me, and I start pointing my finger at him, and he goes, "If one more effing person comes up to me and says, cut it out," and I said, "If one more person comes up to me and." Ask me, are you dumb or dumber? Oh, my God. And so uh, that's how we met. That's unbelievable. And, and until you said it, I didn't even think that. Yeah, we're... Uh, but absolutely, you could... You could you, you do voice match work all the time. You could do face match work for uh, Jeff Daniels. See? See? Yeah, yeah. see? <laughs> yeah, see? <laughs> I heard one time that John Hamm, uh, who, of course, plays Don Draper on Mad Men, went as Don Draper. He just wore one of the suits oh, that's from Wardrobe, funny. which I think yeah. is fantastic. Yeah. I, I, it's, it's Halloween now, or it's Halloween tomorrow. Halloween tomorrow. Yeah. Halloween tomorrow. And uh, although this will air uh, after Halloween, I I do the voice of the E-Trade baby and I want to strap the E-Trade baby to my, just wear all black and have the baby strapped to me and you know, the little E-Trade logo and then just hold him up and do the voice and stuff. I thought that would be the be least good. amount of effort, comfortable. Yeah. So I like your Joey Gladstone style. That could be like in the movie, um, what's the movie with uh, where they had the little guy who talks out of his chest, Quinn or whatever his name was? Oh, Total uh, Recall. Total Recall. Quaid. Quaid. Yeah. Quaid. 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 Yeah, and then the little guy, the little weird guy comes yeah. out and talks. And the three boobs. Remember yeah, the that three was boobs? weird. Yeah. It was weird, but I was, I was, uh, I don't know how old I was when I came out, maybe like 15. Is that possible? When you came out? When I came out of the closet as a Total Recall <laughs> oh, oh, okay. fan. It was a very shameful thing in my community. <laughs> no, I remember thinking that the boob thing was incredibly hot. Like, I was young enough that it didn't seem gross. I was like, yeah, more boobs would be great. Because you have two hands and a mouth. Two hands. <laughs> that is such a disturbing but accurate, perfect thought. That's exactly right. See? That's it's, the subconscious. Yeah. It's right there. It's weird how, how your body does have two of everything. And, and like one, if you ever go to a urologist, which I'm assuming you have in the time, mm -hmm. they're always like, if, you, if a pain in your balls or something is in both balls, you're fine. If it's in one ball, it, it's a problem. Because your body is just like, you have a backup of everything. One eye is bad. Both eyes is like, okay. Like, so it, it's weird. Three boobs is wrong. Yeah. But we can always lose. We could lose a hand. We could lose a foot. We always have another. That's why my left wiener sometimes feels <laughs> uncomfortable. You have two wieners? I do. I have two wieners. A I lot did. of people don't. Well, that's the perfect. Yeah. As you know, the topic of the show is I ask you about weird <laughs> things about yourself. So let, let's open with your two wieners. Two no, wieners. I'm just kidding. Do people Walk come into up, a bar. Do people come up and say, cut it out to you? Sometimes they do. It, now, forgive me. I know cut it out from out of control. One of, my, right, one of right. my favorite shows of all time when I was that a young was, boy. Yeah, we started Out of Control in 1984. And, and that's where you said cut it out. I did. And I stole that 
whole cut it out thing from my friend Mark Sandrowski, who I've known since we were eight years old from Detroit. <laughs> Mark now directs a, a TV series called The Big Bang Theory. Are you kidding me? So I Mark work on the Warner I, Brothers a lot. We, I must pass him all the so time. So you must see him over there all the time. That's crazy. But we, He did cut it out? He did cut it out. With, with the hand gesture? With he the did, fingers? yes, yes. And I told him, I said, I'm going to steal that and use it on stage. And he goes, no, you won't. And I go, yes, I will. You just straight up told him? I just told him. I said, I'm stealing that. Because I knew he... <laughs> That's like your thing. I knew he wanted to be a director. So I said, well, I'm, I'm a stand-up. You know, you're going to go off and be a director. So I, I really kind of need that. You feel... You know, it's funny that you say that. Is one time I went on stage in Chicago and I accidentally... I had never seen my friend do it, but I did a premise... It was, a, I forget what it was. I don't want to say it for fear that they'll listen to this and know that it was them <laughs> based on what I'm about to say. But I went on stage and I did this bit and it did really well. And I got off stage and somebody uh, very casually came up and was like, I don't think you've seen me do it, but I do that bit. I was like, fine, that's, that's fine. I'm so sorry. I haven't seen you do it. Fine. This is like two years in. So we all had like 10 minutes. <laughs> so it was hard to lose that one bit. Right. But anyway, uh, then I saw him do it and he did it horribly. I was like, you, like my brain was just like, my ego was just like, you should give that to me. For I, <laughs> I took that buffalo down and I'm covered in its blood and, and you did it first, but you just wounded it. Like, that's my bit. You should yeah. give it to me. So you did cut it out presumably better than this director. But I told him I was going to steal it. Yeah. And, and friends. Your friends. Yeah. Your friends. Oh, we're great friends. Yeah. Oh yeah. We're great friends. And did, still to this day, we used to make little eight millimeter movies when we were kids. Really? And he was always the director and I had to be the actor. And so, so we'd funny. be in Detroit, in downtown Detroit or something. Yeah. We, we did a movie called The Coke Addict, and it was a Coca-Cola addict. Uh-huh. And I think we were juniors in high school. And so uh, we go to downtown Detroit, and I had to play this bum who, you know, was a guy who drank too much Coke, and now he's on the skids. <laughs> and so uh, I had to go lay in the mud in this alley, and I look at him, and I go, how come I'm always the guy who has to lay in the mud in the yeah. alley? He goes, because I'm the director, and you're the actor. Yeah. And so now it's just yeah. funny because we were sitting, we, I did an episode of According to Jim uh-huh. and we're sitting on, on stage and he's directing that week. And so, uh, we're sitting in these director's chairs and this PA walks over and says, Mr. Coulier, Mr. Sandrowski, can I get you anything? And yeah. I was like, yeah, I'll take a, a diet Coke. And he's like, yeah, I'll take a water. And she walked away and I looked at him and he looked at me and we both started to crack up. And I said, isn't this funny that we were talking about this when we were little kids and now here we are sitting at CBS. Yeah. Doesn't it feel like somebody at some point is going to tap both of us on the shoulder and go, you two idiots, get out of here. Yeah, yeah. Every time I talk about it, I'm reminded to be incredibly grateful. And, 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 you know, my career isn't, uh, as far along as, as yours, certainly, but it, it's just like where I'm at, I'm like, how did this happen? Yeah. You feel like you broke into some museum and like they're not <laughs> stopping you from taking paintings and you're like, this is unreal. It's unbelievable. Yeah, it. yeah. But this is interesting and this comes up and I'm very interested in the psychology of success and something that comes up as I think you are, Outliers. That's inter- an interesting book I saw in your book. Oh, show. Outliers is great. Best, yeah. ho- best hockey chapter ever. Really. Yes. We can get into hockey. Oh, okay. I want to talk about this, which comes up with the other guests that I've talked to is that there's often this through line of like kind of a certainty this weird sort of uh without being overly dramatic anointing feeling where you're just like oh i'm gonna be a comedian that you have from a pretty young age and it sounds like you had that yeah did you feel just kind of like called into it i did i i came from a very funny catholic family i'm a huge family i had uh my dad had seven brothers and two sisters and Uh then my mom had two uncles so i tell everybody as a kid growing up i pulled more fingers than an orthopedic surgeon you know i i was constantly (laughs) You know, in the middle of fart and poop jokes. And, yeah. and, and so, 
but was it, I had were a you funny different? family. Were you different? Were you kind of like, did you like doing it more or did, were you better at it? Or I was better at it. Yeah. yeah. So I perfected hand farts under the stairs at my grandparents' house. Sure. And so when uh, my Aunt Pat would walk down the stairs, I would do like what her fart would sound like, which would be... <laughs> you, you literally I thought you I were would, joking You uh, literally were working On your hand fights I was I would I would sit there And I would do I would do like uh, You know Family wind You know So if my, my <laughs> Uncle Vince Would walk down the stairs I'd be like <laughs> You know Like you really could, sloppy That's so f- I just texted to my brother I was like I could pick dad's fart Out of a lineup Yeah Like you, yeah, It's, it's kind amazing? of gross and weird But like It's this weird <laughs> Family thing Where we're like Yeah we've yeah. been hearing And smelling that Since we were children Yeah and My dad now, now this is another reason Why I'm warped Whenever one of us kids Would go to the bathroom At our house Whenever we would go Number two My dad would wait Outside the bathroom door With a can of Glade And then spray our asses as we walked out of the bathroom with Glade. He would spray our asses with Glade yeah. as we walked out of the bathroom this and is, chase us around. And people wonder why I'm screwed up. Uh, well, that's exactly why you're a comedian. That is insane. Yeah. And yeah. and you probably just assumed all your other little friends. Well, your dad waits for you outside the bathroom with it's, Glade, right? Sprays your butt with Glade, right? Pretty standard. Yeah. No. So I mean, uh, you know, I had a very uh, early interest of about comedy just because. I remember all of my aunts and uncles and parents talking about who was on Ed Sullivan. Yeah. Or they would talk about who was on The Tonight Show, who was really funny. And my Uncle Dick thought he was Rodney Dangerfield. So he'd yeah. always walk around and he had a he had a clip-on tie. And he'd go, hey, you know, I get no respect. Yeah, yeah. And so that was my family. That's really interesting. But did you have a, a B plan? I, I often like to ask people if they had some sort of fallback. Or I a- did. I w- I was, uh, I've always been interested in aviation. My dad was a pilot. And so I started flying with my dad at the age of five years old and so i was very enamored like did he let you hold the controls and stuff yeah yeah he he flew with a guy that he worked with with at chrysler and this guy's name was dick pencil really not even kidding his name was dick pencil (laughs) and so uh, my dad yeah people people wonder why i chose this chose this profession so his name was dick pencil and those guys used to fly on sunday mornings and and so i got really interested in aviation and when i was 17 got my pilot's license that's i'm sorry to interrupt but i remember you told me this and every time i'm on a turbulent flight now i remember two things you told me one is that uh turbulence doesn't bring down planes and it's and you this i think of you Freaky, I know. All the time, I go. It's just like driving on a bumpy road. That's yep. what you said. Yeah, and That's I think and true. that comforts me all the time because you know we have to fly all the time and we hit turbulence and that used to freak me out. And I, I think of Dave Coulier, and, and now the <laughs> listeners can think of Dave Coulier because you actually fly. I do. I do. You I know do. what you're talking about. I, I love flying. I'm an instrument rated pilot. I don't know. And that so um, that just means I can fly in the clouds. Okay. <clears throat> I can fly in you know essentially nasty weather but it's never fun right flying in nasty weather right hey but you've done it i've done it probably too many times in in too many situations is it because you didn't know a storm was a brewing or are you just like who cares it's going no you know but you don't know to the degree of what kind of turbulence you're going to fly through or sometimes you don't know to what extent the icing conditions are yeah and so i've gotten myself in a couple of situations where it was a little scary where i got pretty beat up oh god yeah but when you're done with it you're kind of like i've been through that amount of turbulence and and it was fine does it build your confidence i'm assuming it it builds your confidence but uh you know there have been times where i've been literally shaking really when when i landed just because it was just so 
intense and so um yeah. you know frightening yeah no yeah. it's spooky whenever whenever a plane drops a little bit or whatever i i, I comfort myself with the thought that this whole, this group of strangers have 45 50 people on a plane and all of our sphincters just clenched at the same time <laughs> i have to think of jokes like that otherwise i'll just be like we're all gonna die we're all gonna die, we're all gonna die. <laughs> so instead i just like it's weird to think that i know that that woman's butthole just tightened it has to. Yeah. If a plane drops, everyone's butthole. See, and that, what a great diversion thinking about other people's buttholes. That's what I do all you know? day. Yeah. yeah I think of your butthole, yeah, too. Dave. Yeah. I think that's, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that, that's, that's interesting. So you, uh, you What a had, segue. Hey, that's, if, if that's not a segue, I don't know what is. Into my, I think about your butthole all the time, too. All the time. But you know, <laughs> there couldn't be anything more natural. So you could have been a pilot. Yeah, that was my backup plan. My but you backup wanted plan. more to do comedy. I, I did, and uh, always would rush home from school to see which stand-ups were on Mike Douglas or the the Dinah Shore show or uh-huh. Irv Griffin, and uh, you know. So I remember seeing uh, Leno and and uh, George Carlin and Richard Pryor, and I thought, what a cool. What a cool job that yeah, would be to be a professional music. funny person. Yeah, how ridiculous. And I, it actually said on your uh, Wikipedia page, which is the extensive research, as Katie knows, that I do for the show, <laughs> is that you uh, started in high school, and I believe you got on the PA. Is that correct? I did. I, I could do a really spot-on impression of our high school principal, Mr. Yeah. Fashan. Yeah. And so I would do little shows with Mark Sandrowski. I would do little shows in the cafeteria once when all-boys high school. And so I would do impressions of coaches or teachers, and I could do this really great impression of our principal. So our principal uh, got wind of it, and one morning I'm doing an impression of him, and all of a sudden everybody stops, and I turn around, and he's standing there. Yeah. Did you reach your hand back and touch his face first without turning around? Yeah. Kind of. (laughs) Wait a minute. (laughs) Yeah, like Curly from the Three Stooges. So. yeah, he he actually took it a, a very good naturedly and and said, "Hey, look," I, and he talked like this. He said, "David, I want you and that Sandrowski fellow to come down to my office." <laughs> and so, <clears throat> excuse me. Instead of being really uh, pissed off about it, he said, "I want you guys to do something funny with our fall ticket campaign." Uh-huh. And I said, "Can I do an impression of you on the school PA?" And he goes, "Whatever you want to do." So I used to do the announcements as him in the morning. And I remember sitting there with Mark and I would do a joke and then we would go out of the little announcement booth and we would listen down the hall and we would hear cheers to see if there was a laugh. So we, we, we knew that there were laughs. That's insane. That's like a crazy stand-up dream. Sometimes I have stand-up dreams where I'm performing behind the crowd or like in some sort of other room. You were literally doing that. You were in a little room, you'd do a joke and then you'd poke your head out a school yeah. hallway to see if it was killing. Yeah. That's fantastic. And so by senior year, Mark and I had written this whole thing called Linus Pauling in the band. And it was a sketch show. It was like a two and a half hour sketch show. And we sold tickets and 800 people showed up senior year. Really? And we did this whole show. And that's when I really got the bug because within all the sketches, I would come out and do what we called a solo. Uh And I would do a little stand up piece in in between bits in the show. In high school. This was in high school. So that's very young. Yeah. Even by today's standards, kids started like 13 now, 14. Or oh, whatever. I know. It's crazy. It's really weird because it's like a viable option. I'm ripping off Seinfeld, but Seinfeld said when he started, there were no clubs. It, right. was, it was like a new thing. But now, literally, you can be like, I could be a carpenter or I could be a stand-up. Like, it's kind of possible. Well, because uh, we're in this age where, uh, you know, you've got YouTube and you've got 
people with, uh, you know, cameras on their phones. Right. And anybody can do a performance piece. Right. But, you know, if we saw, see, you started appropriately in your high school, but if those had been like videos that you put on YouTube and stuff, they might have been panned. You might have lost your confidence. Yeah. Uh, it, it's like, I think about the videos that I was making with my little friends. We did a video called Terminator 2, which was Kermit in the role of the Terminator. Oh, look Thank at you that. very much. Thank you. And we stole that from Mad Magazine. But we were like, we're going to make this movie. That was our contribution. And if that had gone online, it, it would have been panned. We thought it was the greatest thing in the world, but we were, we were children. We were in junior high. And I, I often think about Gary Larson, and I think I've told this story before on the show, sent all, the Far Side guy. Sent, I love Far Side. I do too. So you said Gary Larson. You didn't have to tell me yeah, he was yeah, Far yeah. Side guy. For, I knew. For, for the listener who didn't That's know true. who that was. Yes. <laughs> but he sent all, he submitted to all these newspapers and then he went on the road like he drove to like whatever chicago to meet with newspapers and he was waiting and waiting for a response he didn't get a response he's like screw it i'm going to drive to chicago goes to chicago shows his cartoons to a newspaper they buy him he gets home he has like 15 rejection letters and he's like if i hadn't left the day that i had left and and got all that rejection i would have quit you know what i mean so it's kind of like good that we grew up in this time where you're making eight millimeter films with this director friend of yours and and doing it for nobody and then that creates that need to take it out and and do it when you're ready for more people but like i'm afraid where my career would be if i had youtube yeah that's that's kind of yeah that's really interesting when you put it that way and trying to look back in retrospect of all the stupid things you do yeah you know and how dumb they were but uh, you know, I guess uh, we're talking about the old days, yeah. now, Pete. Before we, there's cell phones and YouTube. But dare I say, yeah. it yeah. was kind of a better time. There, there's a great like Bo Burnham and all these wonderful comedians that broke because they were hilarious on YouTube. Right, there are those guys. But then there are also people that probably got their confidence ripped out of them. Too many fuck you faggot comments and all this shit. The most ugly. Oh, I worked that club. <laughs> I, I know which club you're talking about. <laughs> but, but that back then you couldn't think about somebody else's butthole <laughs> at that place. <laughs> or you got you got totally reamed. Yeah, yeah. No, it's a different time now. Different time. But uh, I, I'm glad that that I didn't have an audience, and then and then when I was met, ready, started performing for crowds like real crowds because I think I would have had my light extinguished if I tried. To do what kids are doing these yeah, days. Yeah, I, I remember graduating from, uh, you know, this all boys, uh, you know, Catholic prep high school, and all of my friends were going to college, and I went into Father Timmerman's office, and he was our uh, our college counselor. Uh-huh. And he said, So, Dave, 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 what, <laughs> uh, what are your plans? And I said, I want to be a stand up, and I'm going to move to, uh, I'm going to move to Los Angeles. And he's like, Okay, I, you know, I think. I think uh, Father Kulong knows a guy who wrote a funny column in a paper. And so that was the extent of how Father Timmerman could help me. Oh, really? Yeah. The, he knew nothing about, well, here's where I'm sending you. At or, least I was waiting for him to be like, get real, kid, or whatever. Yeah. He no, didn't but, do that. Well, because I was already kind of like this budding star in high school because yeah. I could do impressions of the teachers. Right. So they knew that See, I could do something. They just didn't know, all right, we have no idea where to steer you now. That cradle of, of talent, of, of audience, like a school, is perfect. And I totally know what you meant. In my own college... I was, I called it like, you're a campus celebrity or whatever. Like, people know who you are in the school. But it's a very, very small group. But we did, like, an improv team. And then that gives you that first sense of, like, I'm owning this market. 
And now right. I'm going to go to New York, you know right. what I mean? And give it a try there. It gives you that extreme and unfounded confidence to have the delusion and have the absurd thought that you're like, I can make it in show business, which is a required first step to make yeah. it in show business. Yeah. You, yeah. You got to have, um, you know, you know, it was, it was where I always tried to explain it to people where I would say I was blindly optimistic. Yeah. Because I didn't know how stacked the odds were against me. Yeah. But I didn't care because it was like, you know, somebody once told me, you know, some of the best shows you'll do will be the ones you do for free probably. Yeah. And and it's very true. Yeah, sure. And because you're, you don't have that kind of pressure. Yep. Um, oh, where somebody's paying, a, a, you know, a, a price to come and see you. Right. And uh, you're just freewheeling and having a great time. Expectation, I've always said, is the enemy of comedy. If there's, if there's a lot of expected of yeah. you or whatever, but if it's like, give me a Thursday at 1130 and they've been there for two hours and they've given up. They've given up on the night and you can yeah. come in and create something that no one was expecting is so much better than Saturday night, eight o'clock. This better be good. Fuck you. You know what I mean? Like I'd rather have, give me a Monday. I hate the weekend. I hate performing on the weekend. I, I prefer, you'll kill harder. You know what I mean? You do a show on a Saturday yeah. night. They're juiced up. They're into it. If you're good or whatever, you have some chops that you can succeed. I'll take a Monday night any any day of the week. Yeah, those are usually more Monday. fun. <laughs> like the night where you show up before the gig and you go, ah, you know, I'm here. I'm just going to go over to the club. Exactly. And you do, that, you do that set where no one's expecting you. Yes. Until tomorrow night. And yeah. you walk up and you just kill and you go why couldn't i do that every night i know it's psychological it's total you put that pressure on yourself and you're like i have to deliver fuck delivering when you try hards when you die hard i'm glad my mom didn't say that when i was born fuck delivering yeah (laughs) (laughs) your mom is a filthy woman (laughs) you know my mom you do oh okay i I didn't know you guys had met so as i said that i was like we don't know each other that well and i'm saying your mom's a filthy woman i was like ugh. that comes up a lot did you have an overbearing over over loving mother and a distant father that's a question no no um they were both uh, my mom was my well my mom was uh my uncles who are playing music in that top picture, as you can see, uh-huh. uh, you like see one playing a bass band. and one playing a piano. That's Bob and Jerry Como. They played in the USO um, bands overseas with like Bob Hope and really. Stuff. So, oh, that's cool. so they were performers. Yeah. And uh, so my mom was very encouraging with that. She was like, Great. you know, you should really, I think you're pretty good at this. And so your mom was a fan. My mom was a fan. And I'm finding that's a through line. Fan, fan mom. Fan mom. No, a lot of fan moms. My dad was a Chrysler guy. So my dad, you know, punched a clock and worked at a factory. And I remember I did my first Tonight Show and uh, my dad... Uh, watched it but he didn't call me for like a day mm-hmm. and so i finally couldn't take it anymore i'm like hey dad how's it going you know did you see me on the tonight show with johnny carson you know hosting yeah. and blah, yeah. blah blah my dad said yeah pretty good pretty good and he said uh i said yeah well okay thanks and he said well when you go back on now and i said i don't know he goes oh well, what did you say to him I said, I didn't say anything. He goes, you probably smarted off or something, didn't you? And I was like, no, I didn't Are smart you off. Me? And he goes, you don't know when you're going back. But, you know, my dad couldn't understand that it wasn't a regular job. Yeah. 
that that got you other jobs in right. clubs and, and right. hopefully a it's network a, show or something. It's a hard business to understand. Even even when you're in it, it, you know, it seems normal to us. But like when I try and explain things to my, my parents, it's hard not to sound condescending. The more you're in LA, you use all these terms, you know, yeah. ratings, terms, and suddenly you're talking like an agent, you know, talking to your mom, you're like, mom, I got to jump. You know what I mean? Like, it's <laughs> like you start sounding more and more douchified and it's hard. Uh, and I sometimes feel frustrated trying to explain. Cause like when I did Conan, I had a similar, my dad, I love my dad, but he's, he's not a Chrysler man, but it's a similar working class, South Boston oil man comes home like with his hands dirty. You know what I yeah. mean? He's like a real man. I love my dad. And I, I'm trying to explain to him what my soft doughy hands are doing on Conan. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and, and how to explain that to him. And he needs numbers. How yeah. many people watch it? Yeah. Like, give me num- What does it pay? Well, these that, are the things that interest my dad. Well, that allows them to kind of corral the, the whole thought. Sure. And, and, and put it into a context that they understand. Right. Whereas I think comedians try and shut out the idea of how many people are watching. At least I do. I'm not, I'm not going out there and being like 1.8 yeah. million people. I remember I did, a, I did a show in Detroit and it was for their bicentennial. Yeah. And so it was this huge stage and it was me and Tim Allen and David Allen Greer, all Detroit guys. It was um it was The Temptations, Stevie Wonder, Aretha Franklin. Wow. And the show right in front of us, in front of that stage was 75,000 people in a park. And then it was being broadcast live <laughs> to people who were sitting in either in, in Tiger Stadium or all these different venues around the city holy cow and then and i remember the worst thing the guy could have said to me he says you realize you're going live to a hundred uh, to a million people right now who are just watching this yeah and you got seventy five thousand. i'm like Ugh. i don't think about i don't want to never, think about that never yeah. never would i want to think about that in fact i have a type of stupidity that is very enabling in comedy i i don't know what day of the week it is it's like I don't know what kind of intelligence that that is basic intelligence maybe we would call it I'm not spatially aware I'm not like aware of time and I'm not aware of like amounts of people like a show is kind of like a show and that helps because if you're like what is it what is the seat 800 people and then you start thinking about what what the idea of 800 consciousnesses watching you is (laughs) I don't think of it that way I look at it as like one audience and it's not because I'm smart it's because I'm dumb my brain doesn't know how to compute it so it just goes crowd Crowd clumps it together and goes. But that's good. You perform for crowd. Yeah, they give you hand. Yeah, the after. less you have to think about before you walk up there, you know. Yeah, uh, it, it's it's better because it just clears all that stuff away, so you can just do what you do. Because it's insane what you're doing. In, yeah. a, in a way, when you think about it, you're you're thinking, okay, I'm going to go and challenge these 500 people, and I'm going to be the fastest mind in the room, and they're all going to follow me. Yeah. What an, that's one of my theories is why people are reluctant to laugh at female comedians because you're basically, it's, you're yielding authority. So, I mean, if you're like a big fucking stoic, funny, good looking, white teeth guy, most crowds will be like, okay, you can be the alpha. But if a girl goes on stage, it doesn't matter how funny she is. She has to work against the idea yeah. of these little dick threatened dudes yielding authority to this woman. Women have it tougher. They really have, you know, I really admire women who are funny because sure. it's just such a, you know, it's just such a difficult task. To begin with, and then to be female yes. and do exactly what you just said is yeah. such a huge challenge. Any any handicap on something that's already incredibly difficult? It's like you have to golf a perfect game, and we're going to blindfold. You have to wear an eye patch, so you have no depth perception. And think about not just the hole, but somebody's butthole. <laughs>
<laughs> while you're doing this. That was like, you know, I'd like to look at the time code of this of this uh, podcast because that was the perfect amount of time since the last butthole reference to, to have lulled back. me into forgetting it. And it's something that I said. You called it back. Pitch Call it perfect. Back. There you go. Pitch perfect. There you go. You actually told me a funny story about your dad, uh, or an interesting story about your dad, that you gave him, you had a little taste of showbiz success. I, I don't know if it's after Full House hit or whatever, and you gave him an envelope of money. Do you remember telling yeah, me this? Yeah, yeah. I, I remember it was, um, it was before Full House, <clears throat> and I had, uh, I had one really good year. It was the year I did Out of Control on Nickelodeon. And I and, love that show. And, we got to uh, talk about that show still. <laughs> I did that, and I did The Tonight Show, and, I, and my price went up in clubs, and so I was doing really well. Yeah. And so I remember I, my dad needed a, um, needed a new refrigerator. And so I thought, I'm going to give my dad $1,000. Yeah. You know, this is one way I can repay my dad for all those years of putting yeah, me through yeah, school yeah. and never missing a game and yeah. just being there for me. And so I, I put 10 $100 bills. I went to the, <clears throat> I was here in Los Angeles, but I, I flew home. I went to our little local bank and the lady's like, hi, David, how are you? Uh, I'm like, oh, I'm good. I'm how good, are you, Mrs. dearie? Nelson. And <laughs> good, good, good. I said, you know, I need um, 10 $100 bills. And she went, ooh. And um, ah, that's how I, small the town is. There's no yeah, etiquette 10 in the bank. Ten $100 bills. She was like, ooh. Doesn't hide her emotions at no, all. No, Earlier no. in the day, someone yeah. was broke, and they well, were like, she knew oh. Me. Yeah. <laughs> she knew me, yeah. It was uh, the Sinclair Shores Community Bank. Oh, God. was called. That's very sweet. And so um, I put 10 $100 bills into, my, into an envelope, and I remember standing on the side of the house, and I was leaving, and I said, hey, Dad, I want you to have this. My dad goes, what's this? And I go, oh, just open it up. And my dad opened it up, and he grabbed his, he clutched his heart, hmm. and he said, you're dealing drugs. And I said, I'm not dealing not, drugs. Yeah, I'm not, not at the amount of the money drugs. he thought you were dealing drugs. He thought I was dealing drugs. He goes, you're dealing drugs out there. And I said, no, I'm not, Dad. I said, you need a, you need a new refrigerator. I said, I, I want to get you a new refrigerator. He goes, oh, I can't take this. I can't. Nope, nope, I can't take this. And I said, it's not drug money, Dad. I'm, I'm doing really well, and I just want you to have it. Did, was, and he, did he eventually it, accept it? He did, but it was really hard for my dad to accept something like that for me. Well, I have to imagine, and I'd love to talk to my own dad about this. In fact, it would be great to have my own dad on the show. I think that would be really funny. But I, I don't know how uh, they understand what it is we're doing or how it feels. I happen to feel, and I've told my dad this, I'm like, Dad, I'm you if you had every opportunity. Because my dad literally grew up, his dad died when he was like 14. Fucking, I'm picturing like, you know, sepia tones, like everything's a little <laughs> fast, yeah. there's no sound. Uh, my dad like ha- is the American dream. He started driving an oil truck when he was like 15 years old, took care of the family, took care of his mother, then his mother died, all this sort of stuff. But he built this like empire and all this sort of stuff. Not empire, but I'm talking about like a local yeah. sort of Somerville empire. Sure. And did really well for himself. And then like here I come and how do you explain dad i'm on out of control i i sit at a desk and uh and speed up haircuts for children and they pay me money <laughs> right. for this oh yeah they pay me more than you think you know what i mean like how do you explain yeah. that it, it looks like a hobby it looks like a joke it looks like a fantasy and and you have to be like no dad first of all it's difficult it's hard what i did and and i'm good at it it's not not anybody can host out of control. Yeah, it, you know, it's it's a um you know, it's it's a weird job. And to try to explain it to somebody who 
uh, is not doing a really weird job, yeah. it's difficult. Yeah. And a lot of times they, people are so curious about what you make. Yeah. There was a guy, I just told a funny story last week. I, I play hockey every week with a group of guys. Yeah. And sometimes guys will come and go that we play with that are just really odd and they'll skate for a couple of weeks and then they're gone. You know, yeah. we go, what was up with that guy? Yeah. So we had this one guy and he just meets me and he goes, oh, I know who you are. He goes, what do you pull down for that full house show? I'm just looking around at everybody there and I go, I'm not telling you. He yeah. goes, so he wouldn't let it go. He w- he was so curious. So we're at the bar later having beers after we skate and he goes, all right, all right, let me rephrase it a different way. Let's say I'm a guy just like you on a TV series for like as many years as you've done it. What would I be pulling down? <laughs> and everybody, everybody around me just started cracking up and I went, and I just said, you've got to be kidding. I'm still not telling you. That is the best. I was hoping that's what you were going to say. It's like, <laughs> I'm sorry I offended you. Let's say I'm you. What am I making? <laughs> that is the best. Yeah, imagine exactly. if it worked. He exactly. found this Jedi mind trick on yeah. you. People do that all the time. So we nicknamed that guy Pulling Down. And pulling it was like, down. Because he would always go, what are you pulling down for that? What are you pulling, pulling down? down. Pulling you, down. You would never ask a, a lawyer or something. What do you pull down a yeah. year? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. My a friend of mine, Matt McCarthy, who uh, we do these videos and stuff together, booked uh, these Verizon Fios things. He's the redhead with the beard. There were, it was a big campaign. Okay. I'm sure you saw it. I'm sure I have. People yes. on the street would just come up and be like, what do you make? What do, what do they pay for that? It's absurd. People and are my curious. Dad, my dad, who like is, and my mom, who are aware a little bit of show business because of me, would and they you know they have couth or whatever would still just point blank be like Peter what what is, what, what what does Matt make for those what what, what what do you make I'm just like Dad I have no idea and wouldn't stop asking until I I made up a figure I was like I would imagine it's something like this yeah, yeah with E Trade I did an interview for um, the Wall Street Journal and they and they asked they kept asking because I understand you know what I mean it's not that I wouldn't ask right it's just like you don't know how to answer and I actually told them. And then I, I went into a panic and my agent called them and was like, you can't, you cannot. <laughs> like you yeah, have to, you can't and I had to like Paul, call and was like, you have to take that out, please. They could have fucked me over. Yeah. They really could have fucked me over. Yeah. And they didn't. And I'm really, really grateful. But I just did an interview two, day, two days ago where they asked. And I was like, what a bizarre world. Yeah. What, 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 what do you happen? pull down for that? Yeah. What, yeah, what are you pulling down? Yeah, now, Pete. What if I were the E-Trade baby? baby? What, what am I pulling down for Isn't that? Isn't that brilliant that that guy came up with that? That's right. That that's later funny. on at the bar, after a few beers, he thought yes. I would just, you know what, he'll bite if I do it he this way. He found the way in. Yeah. That is insane. <laughs> you know, I, I, I don't know. It, it's, it's like because you have this public life, if accountants and stuff were on billboards and, and there were magazines reporting their salaries and stuff, if we, if we had the same sort of fascination with everyday life that we have for show business, uh, I, that would be an interesting world. Unfortunately, it's, it's just people in the limelight. Yeah, but you do have that. You have like attorney at law, Tom Busby, and now people have, you know, they have these billboards. Yeah. You drive true. down the freeway and it's like, you know, real estate agents. Yeah. 
Connie and Rick Furman. Yeah. You know? And yeah, yeah, it's yeah. like they're there and they're on a billboard. That's interesting. You know? And like local commercials too. Yeah. You know? People want that celebrity. That's why there's uh, the pictures on the back of books. I know what Malcolm Gladwell looks like because yeah. his picture's in the book. You know what I mean? In fact, when I was at the New Yorker, I, the people, I, I drew some cartoons. I used to go in and submit cartoons for them. I didn't know that. Yeah, isn't that That's <laughs> very cool? It's, in, it's interesting. But here's what's interesting, I think. One of the most frustrated groups of people I've ever known because they are... Funny, talented. They're in a prestigious magazine on the regular. Jack Ziegler, all these, all these types. No one knows what they look like. That's like radio people. Ra- How many yes. radio shows have you done where you, you're in show, you're yeah. in town to promote your show? Yeah. And the radio people, you know, try to be so much funnier. Of course, or they have the laughing crew, the zoo morning, the zoo morning guys, J- 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 Chico and the man, yeah. flush, <laughs> just yeah. a toilet flush and then clapping. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah, and uh, you know they've got seven people around them just going. <laughs> yeah. And then yeah, that reminds me of like the company yeah. picnic when Tom yeah. fell oh. when he had the Halloween mask on. About <laughs> 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 yeah, just like and I you're like really easy. This- this isn't that funny, guys. Well, and you have to try harder. You're compensating. And I'm not putting down radio people, but I imagine it, it's not the full picture. They have to resent that you are recognizable. Like, people will come up and say, I'm a fan or whatever. They probably say, cut it out yeah. more often. But you also probably get people that are like, your show changed my life. TGIF, man. Yeah. You know it, what I mean? Well, what's really funny is, you you know, you go and you do a radio show and they try and take shots at you. I've had guys like try uh, and purposely to get ready, take shots at me yeah. to try and goad me into saying something. And, yeah. And I'll just call them out on the air. No, I don't care. I'm at this age now where I have enough showbiz years behind me now. Yeah. Where I just go, you know, I'm not falling for that. Yeah. I'm yeah, sorry, yeah. Buddy, you Good know? for you. That's great. That's, that's a fantastic type of power that you need to be smart enough to claim and be like, why am I going to? What, what's going to happen if I don't tell Toilet and the dude what, what, what happened, how much I was pulling down on Full House? So this actually is a good segue to my next question. What were you pulling down on Full House? Uh, <laughs> I actually do want to talk about Full House, but in the lens of you told me a very interesting story about going out for SNL. Right. And, uh, and then I love this story, and I don't want to tip the bit, but... You didn't obviously. You didn't get SNL. I didn't. But uh, but tell that story I, if you don't mind. I uh, I was managed by Brad Gray and Bernie Burlstein, mm-hmm. and uh, Brad is now uh, I think he's uh, president of Paramount Pictures. Bernie Burlstein was like the the consummate showbiz manager. Yeah. His first client was Jim Henson. He <laughs> created Hee Haw. He, uh, <laughs> you know, was there during the creation of the Muppets. He, oh, gosh. He was a, a showbiz legend. Yeah. And so, and so Bernie managed John Belushi and Dan Aykroyd and Gilda Radner, all the SNL people. So, them being my managers, they had kind of the inside track on what was going on Saturday Night Live. So, right. I remember going to NBC for my screen test and Bernie Brillstein's walking up and down the hall and he's just farting really loud, just like, hey, how you doing, kid? <laughs> but he was such a showbiz legend, it was like the ultimate intimidation. You couldn't say anything because it's Bernie Brillstein yeah. farting, you know? That's a very comedic device. That's George yeah. Burns with the cigar. Everyone has to smell this. That's right. But it's the body version. That's right. So Bernie's farting So up Bernie's some farts. walking up and down wearing his, his uh, like a tennis suit and uh, he's walking up and down the hallway, and I, he, go in there, knock him dead, kid. So <laughs> I had to do a screen test, you know, and it's just. So you're on the stage. It's, uh, 
it wasn't even like a stage. It was like a room. And uh-huh. they had a camera set up, and Lauren Michaels is there watching. Yeah. And so I, you prepare like six minutes of stuff. So right. I remember I did this thing called the dying walrus, where I take my shirt off, and I do this horrific sound. <laughs> and it sounds like a, a walrus is dying. <laughs> And so it's Which just can, inherently funny. You know? Was it the name of the bet first, or did you make the sound and then identify what it sounded? I like? started doing it in <laughs> I started doing it in kids' pools when I was a kid, and it's this horrific sound where I just basically blow this fart on my arm <laughs> and create this little like little cone with my arms, and it just echoes, and it's just it's really gross sounding. So I finished. Did Lauren laugh? I finished, and I remember I remember it was so funny, and hearing everybody laugh, I thought, oh my gosh. This is going to be great. I think I just killed here, yeah. you know, my Saturday Night Live audition. Yeah. So I go home. My phone rings. It's Brad Gray. And he's like, uh, Dave, I just got off the phone with uh, Lauren Michaels. And That's how Brad talks. <laughs> and uh, he told me, he said, it's going to be great to have you this year as one of the featured regulars. And I said, I got SNL. He goes, well, yeah, you got to leave in like a week and a half. Oh, my gosh. So I, of course, get on the phone and tell everyone. I call my family, my friends. I'm going to New York in a week and a half. I got Saturday Night Live. Oh, my gosh. So I tell everyone. And so, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm telling everyone this is my audition, and I did the dying walrus thing. I'm telling old Dave, friends. did you do dying walrus? Yeah. I'm telling my old friends from back home, oh, you used to do that in our pool in the backyard. Oh, my you gosh. Know, I can't believe you used that to audition for Saturday Night Live. <laughs> so I'm telling everybody. So I get rid of my apartment. I tell my landlord I'm moving out. I'm going to New York, Saturday mm-hmm. Night Live. She throws me a little party oh, for the God. building, you know. And it's I'm uncomfortable just, knowing where this goes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> So, you know where it leads to. But you and didn't do it. How is so, that happening? I know. So, it's it's like four days before I'm supposed to leave to go to New York, and I haven't really heard anything. And so, Brad Gray calls me, and he says, uh, Dave, I got some bad news. And I'm like, what? He goes, you're not going to New York. And I went, what? He says, uh, yeah, they just thought you were too similar to Dana Carvey. And Brandon Tartikoff just thinks you two look too much alike and you're why too similar. They, why the delay between the yes and the no? I don't it understand. Just took them, it just took them that long, I guess, to figure it out. So God. I had to call everyone back and Ugh. say, i This I'm is not pre-Facebook. Going. You couldn't just put it on your wall and I be like, know. I'm not doing it. I had to call face. everyone back in my entire life and just, you know, eat a big tub of vomit. Ugh. And... uh had I gone to New York, though, and done SNL, I would have never gotten Full House, which happened about six months later. Yeah, that's Gary Larson. Yeah, that's like, I would not I would not have been here to go and audition for the Full House pilot. I think that's and fa- fantastic. And th- that, of course, turned and, out Yeah, well. and I remember hearing from people how miserable it was in New York and yeah. how you, you, know, you had to was fight that? people. Who would you have been on? It with? was the Dennis Miller, Dana Carvey. It was been yeah. 1986. Yeah. The 86 season. Yeah. And I remember hearing those horror stories and then Full House happened and the rest is TV history. <laughs> it literally is. Yeah. I actually, I hear, I've had numerous, I have friends at SNL now and I've had people that went on SNL and then quit and they're like, uh, a friend of mine who I won't quote just in case they don't want this out there was like, you could do SNL nine to five. Like they could do it like the yeah. way that they write and create the show. If everybody started at nine and finished at five, but instead it still has that like seventies mentality back when everybody's doing blow all the time yeah. and it's still those hours. Uh, it know. doesn't necessarily need to be, but there's almost, I guess it's a superstition. They don't want to change the formula. 
but it could be uh, yeah. more of a livable lifestyle. I don't know. Yeah, changing the dynamic of something that's such an institution would be tough. I, I, I absolutely agree. And in fact, if I went to SNL and I was on it, and that, and that would be amazing, and I went in and uh, it wasn't all-nighters on Tuesday, I'd be depressed. I'd be like... Yeah, you'd be thinking about other people's buttholes. I <laughs> brought it back. I brought it back again. See? I brought it back. We have to put in the description that we talk about buttholes <laughs> all the time. So Full House, I don't, I don't know. You must get asked about Full House all the time. What a great show. You're not Uncle Joey. Let's clear that up. Not Uncle Joey, just Joey. But in the scripts, it would say Uncle Jesse and Joey are coming over. So people thought... Everybody, I got in a fight. This, yeah. Just today when I was saying you were on the show, they were like, oh, Uncle Joey. And I was like, it's actually just it's just Joey Gladstone. It's not yeah. Uncle Joey. Yeah. Well, um, it was it was eight years of, of uh, just bliss, comedy bliss. Yeah. Because I got to be the funny guy in front of America, you yeah. know, and went from... Pretty much a guy who was on out of control and had done some Tonight Show shots and yeah. you know a few things here or there, to suddenly being vaulted uh, to the cover of TV Guide and sure. being in a top ten sitcom. And I, I tell people, you know, that being the star of a network sitcom that's a hit is the best job. If if you dream in your dream of dreams of what a showbiz job could be. Yeah. Cause it's not being the producer. Cause you've got those crazy Saturday night live hours where you've got to rewrite right. entire scenes right. or right. an actress flips out. So you got to recast and something right. happens. That's not the dream job. Right. The dream job is going in and being the star of the show. Yeah. Because, you well, know, I write on a show right now, and I see how nice it must be yeah. to get the rewrites kind of delivered to you, and you, you, your hours are better, and, and then you also, you're in front of the camera. Yeah. You're, you're making more money, not than all the writers, but you're making more than most of the writers, and you're the face of the show, and you get to have the fun in the live audience to show them on. It's multicam, so I know the What address. show is it? It's new. It's called I Hate My Teenage Daughter. It's on I Fox. I Hate My Teenage Daughter. Yeah. Oh. But I know that adrenaline of the crowd, and I watch the performers enjoy it and get the rush like a stand-up set, almost yeah. like of live theater, of killing. Yeah, and <laughs> and uh, I was encouraged to be funny every day. And yeah. Did so, you riff and stuff? What's that? Did you riff at all? It was so cool. What the producers did was they came to watch my stand-up the first, like during the first thirteen shows that we did the first season, and so they kind of saw what I did in regard to voices and music, and I played my harmonica, yeah. and, you know. And they said, "Oh, we're going to incorporate all that stuff into bits in the show." And yeah. I thought, "Wow, this is so cool." They're going to kind of custom make scripts and scenes for me which yeah. is just such a, a luxury yeah and so um by season three the writers would would actually put in parentheses in the in the you know the stage direction it was that dave will come up with something funny here <laughs> and so i would just improv something on the stage and we'd work it for a couple of days and, yeah. and it would be funny and so i got to be really creative it's preferable i think uh, people might not understand that i i remember uh reading about improv it was some article i was reading and they were like could there be anything more terrifying than like just say something here and i was like for a lot of performers yeah. they're like what a treat that, that i yeah. can just kind of be in the moment and say something yeah. try and make uh, stamos laugh and and uh, have it get on the show yeah and, and, and so i got to do you know all these these weird crazy funny things that ended up on you know these 192 episodes that we did 192 episodes yeah it's a Good lot lord and you're still you're still friends with these these guys 
Everybody, I'm here's a segue. I just um, produced, wrote, and produced a web series called "Can't Get Arrested." Yes, and Jody Sweeten, who played Stephanie on the show, is is uh, my partner on the show. Yeah, and we star in it together. And Candace Cameron came in and did a really funny cameo on our fourth episode. And <laughs> so we all talk. I went to dinner with uh, John Stamos and Lori Lachlan, uh five nights ago. Wow. And so we all still see each other and hang yeah. out and love each other. It's really disgusting. It is. It sounds gross. Yeah. The web series sounds fantastic. You sent me a link to the description, and I think it'll be out when this airs. So it will it only, called? It's, called, it's, it's called Can't Get Arrested. Yeah. And it's about the trials and tribulations of being in the upper echelon of Hollywood. Yeah. And then years later, those same people won't talk to you. Right. And so Jody Sweeten and I, uh, are out to lunch one day. We play our ourselves on this, on this yeah. little web series. And, uh, the paparazzi is there and they Photoshop a nip slip onto her <laughs> and it gets into the press. But I've done that. I figure out that we can use it to our advantage. Uh-huh. And so I find a way to manipulate, the paparazzi yeah. and put people into situations where they'll get tons of press. That's great. So we've got Cato Kalin wrestling, uh, Dennis Haskins, who was Mr. Belding. I know Saved Dennis Haskins. Sure. So those two are wrestling in a restaurant. Uh, <laughs> there's some really, really funny stuff. And then I play my own manager with some visual trickery. Uh, this guy who's an old showbiz throwback, like a Bernie Brillstein. Yeah. Uh, his name is Irv Steenstein. And uh, I play my own manager. Oh, that's great. And, yeah. and where is it? Where, where do we see it? Can'tGetArrestedShow.com. That's great. So Can't Get Arrested was taken? Um, can't, I think Can't Get Arrested was taken, yeah. So we had that's to call insane. it Can't Get Arrested that's Show. insane, bro. Do you remember when we were out after a show one night? I think it was the second time we did shows together. And I tried to get you to text Mary-Kate Olsen, Why No Police? This was right after Heath Ledger right. died. Right, right. <laughs> And to your credit, you 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 did it. You wrote it, and you showed yep. me that you were about to send it, and then thought better of it. It, it was horribly yeah. insensitive. Yeah, the timing wasn't great on that one. <laughs> it was right after yeah, that but happened. I thought about it. You did think about it. I couldn't believe what a sport you were. I thought about it. Because it was one of those things where I was like, he's going to punch me in the face, but I was like, you got to text Mary-Kate, why no police? <laughs> and you did. You almost did. I almost did. You almost did. Then I came to my senses. Are they yeah. the least involved in the, in the full house? We part? were talking about this, me, Stamos and uh, Lori Lachlan were talking about this the other night at dinner, and I said, "Have you talked to? We call them the girls. Yeah, you, know, you talk to the girls you do. Uh, because they're like our own kids. Yeah, I they mean, were. We you spent knew them as babies. So much time. They were eight months old when we started. Babies, and uh, you know, we really did become kind of surrogate aunts and uncles to them. And yeah, we, you know, we you know think about them so fondly. Yeah, and so I said to, to John and Lori, I said, "Have you seen or talked to the girls?" And Lori said, "I was in New York." And all of a sudden, there they were, and they came up, and it was just such a sweet moment. It was just like, wow, a family member who I haven't seen in a long yeah. time. Because we really did become this dysfunctional family off yeah. camera as well. Yeah. And how can you not? We're together five days a week for 192 weeks. Right. You know? So you get to know people. But in that sense that they are family members, it would be weird to any family to have these little kids, you know, the child really like infant stars of the show go on to become not a Somerville empire, but an actual empire. Yeah. 
I mean, they're a brand. It's it's insane. And it's amazing because I used to play golf with their dad, Dave Olson, mm-hmm. and we would just talk about it, and he would always say, you know, I don't know what's going to happen. You know, they're having fun, and, you know. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, you know, little did both of us know at that time that, you know, they would explode into this, this yeah. media, oh. multimedia empire. And Dave Olson. Now their daughter, Elizabeth, is becoming a big star. Is she? Yeah. she's in kid? She's in a movie right now, and everybody's talking Academy award i guess she's amazing in this you got it dude yeah <laughs> that's yeah. your acceptance speech that's the name for the, of the oscar <laughs> yeah i got it dude she just does every full house reference <laughs> have mercy you got it dude you little nerd bomber I had such a crush on uh candace cameron Can- candace am i saying that correctly? candace cameron candace yeah. cameron god because she was on the cover of some christian magazine at my church yeah and she was doughy. I'm not putting her down. I was doughy. She's not anymore. She was over here and last you know, week. I actually, gorgeous. And I'd like to be very clear. I never thought she was doughy. You know what I mean? I thought she was gorgeous and perfect. And uh, I was doughy, more, much more so than she. But because I knew she had a reputation for being teased, she talked about it in the interview yeah, on yeah, the cover sure. of uh, this Christian magazine. Sure. She's like, you know, body images, she's, people tease me or whatever. This is before it became very in vogue to know what bulimic, anorexic, all that sort of stuff wasn't really in the lexicon yet. And I read about it and I was like, this is my soulmate. Like she knows what it feels like to be called doughy and uh, be made fun of and whipped with wet towels at poolside. Yeah. So I, I, I loved her so much. And because she was religious, I was also kind of like, oh, we're, in, we're, we're together. I set her up with her husband. Is that right? Yes. Uh, Kirk, I played Kim? hockey with him. <laughs> yeah, her brother is her husband. Um, no, Val Bure. His name is Valerie Bure. Uh-huh. They're still married. They have three kids together. God. I introduced those two at a charity hockey game. He was a pro hockey player playing with the Montreal Canadiens, and he and his brother are both from Russia. Yeah. And so they told me that uh, they learned how to speak English by watching Full House. They Get said, out. Every day we would drink our coffees at 5 o'clock and then watch Full House, learn the English. Oh, my God. And then he goes, like, have mercy. I was trying to think of your theme song. It's a rare condition? Or is that full Family Matters? That's, yeah, that's Family Matters. That's a different What's one. What's the first yeah. line of the Full House theme song? Everywhere you uh, look. That's the chorus. What's the first line? Um, <laughs> wow. I'm, uh, I'm sorry that I had a, a total brain. Whatever happened, happened to predictability? predictability? The milkman. Then the, the paper paperboy in evening TV. Which is weird because we're watching evening evening TV. Yeah. When the singer is imploring us to yeah, believe that it went away. Yeah. Fuck that guy. Yeah. That was uh, back when you made a lot of money for writing a jingle or, or uh, theme a song. A theme song. Yeah. yeah. Alan Thicke uh, wrote theme songs. Alan Thicke. Oh, is that right? I'm pretty sure he's he's written some very famous theme songs, but I think he actually wrote the Growing Pains theme yeah, song. Yeah, okay. Well, now the networks are wise. You get a flat fee, whereas back in the day, for the guy that wrote yeah. Whatever Happened to Predictability, you got paid every episode. Yeah. You got repaid. So they made, like, small fortunes. This is actually interesting. Talking about setting up um, my girlfriend, Candace Cameron, with a hockey player. Yes. Who do we belong with, Dave? Who is right for the comedian? I, I, as Katie knows, this comes up. It's a topic I'm fascinated with. Yeah. I myself am divorced. I got married when I was 22. It almost like yeah. feels like it didn't count. I wasn't quite yet a comedian. Now I'm a comedian and I'm single. And uh, I don't know. Most of my friends are single. Who can put up with the neuroses, with, with, the, uh, with, the, with the worldview? And right. like we were talking about with our parents, Kind of a hard to understand lifestyle. 
It is. Uh, you have to find somebody who's very understanding of all those things. And, and uh, I'm really lucky. Uh, my girlfriend, Melissa, is, uh, is really understanding about being on the road. And she's really understanding about uh, that I just need time sometimes to go into my crazy comedy laboratory and just yeah. think. Yeah. Or Does get she... up at 3 o'clock in the morning and I got a funny idea. Yeah. I, I'm getting up. I got to go write this. It's or... so funny. A friend of mine just broke up with his uh, girlfriend and I was like, I told him, he's a comedian, and I was like, well, you can get up at 3 a.m. and write now. And like that, and he, yeah. he lit up. He was like, yeah. oh yeah, it's not weird anymore. Yeah. Because some of the best ideas I've ever had were because you got out of bed and you, and you had like a Jerry Maguire moment yeah. and wrote a manifesto. Uh, so, I mean, I think, you, first of all, we love hearing laughs. So you've got to get somebody who has is a very intelligent first yep. of all to get all the silly references that we sure, come up with. Sure. And then you got to get somebody who can process that and laugh. It's so funny that you say that because I think about this all the time. Funny is one thing. I'd like I'd like the girl I think the girl for the comedian is funny, but also is an easy laugher. I love being around laughers. Yeah. It's so I I can't change that about my DNA. I love making people laugh. So if I'm with somebody who doesn't think I'm uh, funny or, you know, not even me in general, just like just doesn't laugh in general. Yeah. It's it's not going to work. Well, yeah, because it's such a part of you, you know, and, and, um, you know, I I don't hang out with a lot of showbiz people other than like the full house people. Right. I'm not a showbiz guy. I, 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 you know, I've I've always kind of enjoyed the same things that I've enjoyed since I was a little kid. I didn't right. go out to Hollywood and suddenly like, wow, I like, that's great. I like crack whores and Corvettes or, and yoga. you know, whatever. Yeah. And yoga. <laughs> you know? yeah. So, you know, when I'm sitting around, I like to sit in my backyard at that table back there. See, mm-hmm. huh? see, yeah, yeah, he's see? pointing at a table, at that, with white, fingers, that see? white oval shaped table back there. <laughs> I like to sit out there with my hockey buddies, guys who are truck drivers and, yeah. Uh, hockey you, folk. You, just hockey guys, hockey you know. Folk. Yeah, just down to earth guys, <laughs> and sit out there and just be stupid. And those are the biggest laughs that I enjoy. Oh, you know? yeah. So I love being around that that laughter. Well, know? the Sklar brothers, uh, very funny guys. Have a, they go? This is my impression of a comedian laughing, and he goes, "That's funny." Yeah. Which, is, which is completely accurate. Yeah, it is. That, yeah. The, the comedians that I'm good friends with are wonderful laughers. And yeah, that, and that's that, good. That's a huge. That's a huge thing. I can't just be dissecting why we laugh so hard at uh, one of the fart noises you made in particular hit me very, very hard. You know, I told this to somebody the other day. I said, you know, farts are, are internationally funny. They're sure. universally funny. Sure. Because I could make that same sound. I could be standing in a crowded elevator in China yeah. and just go... And yeah. <laughs> oh no, I don't know if I can laugh at that noise. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It just, you know, it's well, just, yeah. It's interesting because it, it's the posturing that we're all doing that we're like together and you have this nice uh, couch and your, your nice outfit and, and I'm wearing my nice jeans and all this sort of stuff and we're trying to walk around with purpose and soulful creatures that uh, have a God and everything and then, and then you fart and suddenly everything's kind of out the window. Yeah, that you know, throws all, all the rules yeah. once there's a Fart. Suddenly you're just you're just a dirty mammal, and, pretty much, and you're just gross. <laughs> and that, and that's why you know dick jokes and fart jokes will, will always be yeah. the salt and pepper on the table. Yeah, you know, and and my act is uh, my act. I've always thought of stand up. I'm not a wordsmith. I'm not really clever. Mm-hmm. My act. I have always thought I'm just a glorified clown. I've got to make people laugh for an hour. Yeah. So I'm gonna just go up and do stuff that makes me laugh. Right. I'm not gonna. We well, have a silliness and, about you. 
You yeah, don't take I, comedy too seriously. Yeah, I don't take it really seriously. I've always said stand up is my bastard stepchild. It's always it's always a means to get something else. Yeah. And and that's the way I've always treated stand up because I mean, some guys will sit and they will write for months and months and they will craft the perfect one hour. Yeah. I don't write for months and months and then I'll walk up on a stage and I'll go, this is so ref- refreshing to be able to come up here and not know what's going to happen. That's yeah. the challenge to me yeah. is to like put no energy in it. Yeah. And then we write from stage. I write on stage a lot. That's what a lot yeah. of guys do. Um, in fact, that's becoming more and more in vogue. Louis CK writes from stage. Dave Chappelle writes from stage. And one of the things that those guys said was that the, it, the, the adrenaline that being in front of a crowd is a requirement to get to the good joke. Like I can't, I can't go into my office or whatever and just sit at a blank screen and write a funny joke. I, I can later listen to a tape of myself and maybe write a better tag or something. Yeah. But the first time it has to be the high wire act. I have to be aware that oh, if yeah. I fail, it'll get nothing and I'll feel that flush of adrenaline and that fear and the fight or flight sort of thing. Yeah. And that's what that's where comedy comes from. Because you know, the the old guard used to really craft an act and really right. you know, the Bob Hopes and People the don't like George that Carlins and you know, I, I uh you know, I always love just going up there and flying by the seat of my pants. Well, I don't think people want to feel like comedy is happening. You know what I mean? Like, like, and now I'm going to begin comedy. Like, people feel yeah. it's artificial. That's why, like, I, I, I'd say almost every great comedian that I know currently in my class of comedians all open with kind of like where they're at at that moment. Something that's happening yeah. in the room. I, like, I don't care if you don't get a laugh. Just go up and be like... Oh man, you ever take a nap and you and you just wake up and your head feels like a bag of sand? That's not funny. Right. But I love just letting them know that that's where I'm at. Right. You know what I mean? And then right. maybe something will happen, a noise will happen, and yeah. then you comment on that, and then and then you're in. I always tell young comics always acknowledge, you know, who you are, where you are, and where you're going. That's brilliant. And, that's and great. it's just you know, once you do that, it, yeah. you can't just walk up and just go. So I'm yeah. at the mall yesterday. That's why showcasing you know? for like Letterman and stuff is so hard because they'll do it at like the comedy store, but you have to go up and do a Letterman set, right? Which only makes sense on Letterman, right? It's the only stage that that makes. Yeah, sense. it's horrific. It's it's really horrific. I, I mean, I've never enjoyed doing stand up on television. It's difficult. It's yeah. very difficult. Unless it's in a concert setting. Yeah. And they're just going to grab what you do. Right. And you know. edit it. And you yeah. have control over the edit. I understand that. I one time, I'll never forget, I was in Chicago and there was this kind of very, very funny guy uh, named, I think his name was Sean Cole. He brought me up and he was doing this character that was like the worst host in the world. And I'll never forget it. He brought me up and he was like, this next guy coming to the stage is a piece of shit. Uh, God, he's just an ugly motherfucker. His mother is, he's a real son of a bitch. That's this, a funny, that's a really funny character. It is, I love it, that character. It, it was a great idea, but I'll tell you, I was only doing comedy for like a year at the time and I didn't get it. I was like, this is, I, I wasn't like offended, but I was like, this is, this guy's walking the room. He was walking the room and I was going on last and it was a big deal for me. And he said, this guy's a son of a bitch. Really? His mother is a bitch. His mother is a bitch. And then it was like, ladies and gentlemen, Peter Holmes. And I went up. And I swear to God, I just was like, so uh, I really liked peeing in the pool when I was a kid. Like, I just started. <laughs> and I think about this night all the time. Whereas if I did that now, I would have spent the first 15 minutes of my act making fun in a fun way. Not being like, yeah. fuck you. But like contributing. Being like, this is what's happening. We all just watch the worst intro right. in the world. And getting laughs off of it. It could have been right. hysterical. Right. This is like one of my real regrets. <laughs> 
again yeah. in life. It, it's always better to acknowledge, you know, where you are at the present time or something that's just happened in, before you on stage. Yeah. And, you know, uh, you got hey, so and so. That's great. Uh, you know, I would never think of twisting balloons into a poodle and then you know right. inserting them in the front of my pants. Right, that right, is right. really brilliant. <laughs> I, I have to say, you know, just yeah. prove that you're there. Yeah, absolutely. It's not television. Yeah, you're not a hologram. Right. I can see you. Right. And another thing I, I say the I love to say that is the first laugh you get, you need to like show that you heard them do it. It's something that I got from Bill Cosby and himself. The first joke he does, he gets a big laugh. Mm-hmm. And Bill Cosby makes this face as if he's never gotten a laugh before. And it, and it sets this tone for the rest of clearly a classic special of like, what you do is important. Like you're laughing is yeah. important. And I'm going to reward you when you laugh. And I'll do better because you're laughing. Right. And it, it's such a brilliant Yeah, it thing. is brilliant. Let me see. Uh, God, we didn't really talk about a lot of the weird things I had for you. But what do you got on the list there? SNL, right? Hockey, you play hockey. Play hockey, which is weird because a lot of comedians I know aren't competitive in in a fantasy way. Like sports is an agreement that we're going to care how many times the puck goes into this thing, right? And a lot of comedians I know just aren't wired that way. Yeah. But you're you don't, you're not like a, a jockey person, and you're certainly a comedy person, but you love hockey. Well, uh, to me, being in a hockey locker room growing up, it was like having a built-in audience. Yeah, there's twenty guys who are just lacing up their skates and putting their See, gear on that I understand. But when you're playing hockey, no one can hear your funny little quips or whatever. It's like being at a party and the music's too they loud. They can on the bench. Ah, they can on the bench. You yeah. go, I just hit that. You know, I remember I, I made jokes constantly. Like, um, I remember, uh, being on the ice and I was a defenseman and I remember being in high school and we were playing in Flint, Michigan and there was this really fat guy on the other team, and he yeah. was their best player. Yeah. But, I mean, it looked like his jersey and his pants were going to explode. He was so fat. Yeah. But he was a great player. Yeah. So he comes down on me and my defense partner, and it's he and I, and we're skating backwards. I look at my defense partner. I go, I don't want him. You can have him. He's too fat for me. Yeah. <laughs> Which it, which is an, like a polka song. Yeah, yeah, It's yeah. lyrics from, I think, like the Beer Barrel polka. I don't want her. You can have her. She's too fat for me. Hey, she's too fat for me. Hey. <laughs> and my buddy off. knew that polka song. Yeah. And so I said, I don't want him. You can have him. He's too fat for me. Oh, my <laughs> and gosh. And I remember he started laughing. Yes. You know, while we're in the middle of this yes. really important game. So I remember joking around constantly That's on the so ice. so funny. You, you, know? just, you just reminded me of a time, very similar, actually. I was a little kid and I was in a pool with my friend Ern and there was this kid we were talking about having an Olympics and I was like we can have different events like uh, speed uh, underwater racing and all this sort of stuff and then this kid <laughs> who had no idea that he, he was swimming right at us like his, his head was underwater he's probably like seven or eight years old right. just flailing towards us and I just go and other events such as running from this guy <laughs> and like there was something about the way it came out or whatever my friend got out of the pool and threw up he laughed <laughs> he laughed so hard that he threw up isn't that great when you get a laugh like that a Painful laugh. Yeah. Like they, they're so, they're laughing so hard that it's actually causing them grief. Oh, yeah. And that's probably why I'm a comedian. Like, like yeah. your, your story is exactly the type of moment that I think is essential to being like, I'm going to do this for a living. I was doing Muppet Babies, and Barbara Billingsley played the nanny on Muppet Babies. Oh, yeah. it, was, it was. You did it Baby was, Animal. I did Animal, Bunsen Honeydew, uh, <laughs> The Two Old Men in the Balcony, Waldorf and Statler. Sure. And then I did another character we added later called Bean Bunny. <laughs> and, you know, we've, we won the Best Animated uh, the Daytime Emmy four times in a row. Really? You know, it was really a wow. critically acclaimed show. Well, so anyhow, with, with building it up to that, 
there is a brilliant voiceover guy uh, named Frank Welker, and he and I used to always do like trade voices. Like uh, he would he would do Gregory Peck and yeah, and talking to Albert Brooks. Like really, you're you're Gregory Peck for crying out loud! Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I don't believe it. I'm in the same room with <laughs> Gregory Peck. This is great. <laughs> I love you. I've seen everything. You know. Well, thank you, Albert. <laughs> you know, and so we would banter back and forth. You know, during takes, and so we would always they had to separate us because we always goofed around too much. Yeah. You know? And we would make everybody laugh. So one uh, one day we're recording, and the guy who plays Fozzie, Greg Berg, and Animal, my character, we ha- we're pushing each other up a ladder in this scene. <laughs> so Fozzie's going, ah, oh, ah, and Animal's going, ah, 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 <laughs> and we're, we're, they called them efforting sounds. So we're doing our efforting sounds. And so... Greg does this one push and farts in real life, and everybody hears it because we're mic'd. And it was just like, and it was like, and I just blurt out laughing because I realized Greg's just farted really loud. And so there's this. Everybody looks, and then Greg doesn't miss a beat. And in character as Fozzie, he goes. Excuse me. (laughs) Which made, and I looked at Frank Welker, and I remember having to crawl out of the studio because we couldn't finish. Yeah. And I remember Barbara Billingsley, who was Beaver Cleaver's mom. She was June Cleaver. She she just went, oh my, really? That's what happened just now? Oh my gosh. And Frank and I, I remember crawling, we slid the door of the studio and just, ah! Just crawling out. It was one of those moments, you know, that you get. You know, I love those moments. Yeah. I wish those those moments would happen more of it. It just yeah. hits the timing of life. Yeah, is perfect. Perfect. And it wouldn't even. It'll always just be a shadow of how funny it was every time you retell it or whatever. Yeah. But you were there, and it and it almost made you throw up, and it made you crawl. Yes, crawling out. I love laughter. that. I love that so much. Voice voiceover is an interesting thing I, because I do my share of voiceover, and you do a lot of voiceover. And occasionally, I get people asking about like how to get into it. And it's an interesting kind of catch-22, I think, because everybody has a voice. Right. I think most people think that they could probably do it, you know, if they're, right. they're performers. Right. They're like, I ha- it's voiceover. I have a voice. I'm halfway there. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. But it's one of those things, in my experience, no one is aware you can do it until you're doing it. Right. Like, it's hard right. to kind of, like, prove, like, no, I can do silly voices. And I never thought I could do voices, really. I, You know, I'd do it in my own life or whatever. But then I, you get on a show, and, and when somebody starts believing in you, and you're like, oh, I'm a voiceover guy, and you allow your psychology to change, and you're like, no, I'm one of those guys, suddenly this whole world of kind of, like, talent opened up an ability. Yeah. It's like, oh, now I can do all these different voices. Whereas, like, before I allowed myself to think of myself as a voiceover guy, I didn't think I could do it. Sure. So it, it's weird... You need that first opportunity. Otherwise, I guess in your stand-up, people notice that you did voices. Yeah, and... It's difficult to break into it. It was a different world when I started out here in in, in L.A. in 1979 because there were only a handful of people who did tons of voices like Frank Welker and, yeah. and you know some people could just do all these, you know, Dawes Butler was still working and, yeah. and Mel Blanc and so... I was only 19 years old, and I sent my voice tape to Hanna-Barbera, <laughs> and that was on a Thursday. On Monday, they called me and said, we'd like you to work on Scooby-Doo. Really? And so I, I remember putting that four-minute voice tape together, and then I remember um, Chris Zimmerman and uh, Andrea Romano said, can we use your voice tape as the demonstration tape of how to put a voice tape together? Really? Because we heard your tape, and I remember... 
I recorded that at Bruce Baum's house, comedian. Uh-huh. And I didn't know what I was doing. I was just trying to put as many characters and sound effects together in a little story as I could. Mm-hmm. And so I was shocked. But I started working on, on, on Scooby. And then... Hmm. Once you were known in that small little group, that's it. You were in. That's what I'm saying. Now, now you're one of the guys. Now, even though, but but guys like me and Frank Welker who can do like fifty some odd voices right. and impressions and things, um, they don't really want that anymore. They want like somebody who has a really unique voice. Like they want Patton Oswalt because he's got such a unique yeah. sounding voice, and yeah. that's the voice they want to cast. Right. They don't want a guy who can do a copy of Patton Oswalt's voice. Right. They want Patton Oswalt. That's interesting. Know? We just did a show last night, and we talked about Remy <clears throat> from Ratatouille. Oh, yeah? Yeah, it's, you're absolutely right. There's a premium on unique yeah. uh, voices or whatever. Yeah. That's very interesting. This will be the last thing that we talk about, because we always cover comedy, sex, and God, and we haven't talked about God. Believe in God? I grew up a staunch Catholic, and yeah. my dad and went to Catholic schools my entire life. My dad was in the seminary when he met my mom. Interesting. He wanted to be, he was tracking to be a Catholic priest. And so I had religion so forced on me mm-hmm. as a kid that I pulled way back away from it when I moved out here to Los Angeles and, and sure. was away from it and suddenly had the freedom to be objective about it without mm-hmm. my mom and dad saying, did you go to church today? Mm-hmm. What, what mass did you go to? Mm-hmm. And so I pulled very far away from religion and I started to look at other religions. I started looking at, you know, just everything, you mm-hmm. know, Buddhists. And I, and I started looking at, you know, at the Jewish faith and I started mm-hmm. looking at all these different religions and I realized we've made all of these up. Mm-hmm. Human beings have really made up all these religions and really set the guidelines and the guidelines change, you know, with, with, if say, let's say it's a different Pope and there's a different attitude in the world and right. new situations arise. So religion is something that is constantly changing, even though some of it is very archaic and, and, you know, written thousands of years ago. And so I chose to believe in not being a believer. Hmm. that's really what I believe is I just think whatever your religion is, it's okay for you. However, Mm -hmm. it, however it affects your life, whether it's, you know, really positive. Great. Yeah. But I, I just, I'm skeptical of all religions now. And I just, um, I, you know, as far as being a believer, I was for a long, long time. What really turned me later in life is after I kind of pulled back and looked at all these other different religions, like if you're not Catholic, you're going to hell. Mm-hmm. Really? So if I'm I'm Buddhist, <laughs> I'm going to hell just because I was born right. in a different country and you know my parents believed in something else. Mm-hmm. So when you pull back and you start examining all these religions and what they really stand for, you get a little cynical. And mm-hmm. and so I've gotten very cynical about all religions and and um when the catholic church uh the past decade hid all of these priests and all those atrocities mm-hmm. i really just thought shame on you that's really how could you do that right. to children and so i got you know i pulled back even more especially from the catholic church yeah and and what they symbolize and what the power the immense power that they have mm-hmm. in the world and and so that was a big moment 
When, it was a really big they, moment. I think a lot of people probably did that with you. Yeah. It's hard to come back from that. And so I would have conversations with my dad about religion and, and he really, you know, we always agreed to disagree mm-hmm. because once you talk about politics or religion, you get in trouble no matter who you talk. Yeah. And so, you know, I think religion is great for people who want to believe and, and well, what have I'm, it affect their life in a positive way. I'm noticing more and more. I was actually talking to Jim Gaffigan, who, who did an episode, which I think is going to air after this. But uh, Gaffigan is also uh, or was raised Catholic and remains a Catholic. Mm-hmm. And something that I, what really struck me was I was like, I could sense, and I should have asked him. I don't remember if I did. It feels like a choice. You're like, I'm choosing to believe this. And, and it's almost like uh, an Alcoholic Anonymous sort of thing where it's like, I'm going to act as if there is a God. And then like, I'm going to act as if this is true. And before you know it, it is true to you. Yeah. It's completely true. Let me ask you this, though. Uh, you're on that plane ride and you land your plane and you're shaking. Did you... Your Catholic Jesus is so deep in your brain. Before right. your brain was fully formed, you had the two biggest people in your life, your mom and your dad, telling you about Jesus and telling you about God. Right. So that went in right with tying your shoelaces. Right. So you're, if you think you're going to die... In that plane, are you are you praying? I don't think about how am I going to die in this plane. I think how am I going to survive? And when I land, I say thank you, Dave, for paying attention in all of those aviation classes. Yeah, I don't say thank you, Jesus. What? It, what? It, that seems that's so nice. I like that a lot. I, I also would have liked it if you were grateful to God or some idea of God as well. But mm-hmm. I'm really refreshed, and it did something to to my chemistry right now. The idea of being like. Dave did a good job. You know what I mean? Like I, <laughs> you just landed, saved your own life, kiddo. Yeah, you, you landed know? that plane. You landed and the it fuck out of that plane. Yeah. <laughs> so, so Dave, good job. You yeah. paid attention. Yeah. So well, good for you. That seems very uh, actualized and realized. And, and some of the things that I'm looking for is uh, a, a, a genuine curiosity and, and a thoughtful reply. And I think that's I think that's very valuable. So good on you. Thanks. Yeah, I'm sure. If, yeah, I'm sure if my dad listens to this, uh, Dave. Yeah. Well, that's not the way I yeah. brought you up. Yeah, and I said you brought me up to be a, a thinking person. Yeah, and so I'm just thinking. That's all I'm doing. Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. not knocking anybody else. And we didn't. We don't yeah. have it figured out. We're just two guys talking. That's true. We're we're baby animal thinking about buttholes. <laughs> Like, is he going to manage to get one more butthole? We've never had a fart on the show before. I think we had eight or so, and we've never said butthole on the show. Never said butthole. And we had about eight. How, how appropriate. What an ending. A butthole. Good night, folks. Yeah. Actually, we end every show. Thank you so much for doing it. Thanks. It's always great to see you. Pete. Yeah, it's great and, to see you, too. Will you say, we always, I always ask the guests to say, keep it crispy. Keep it crispy. Thank you for doing that. <laughs> now leaving Nerdist.com. Thank <laughs> you.